I think one can display things that are Chad Lee and behavior that is very Chad-like or do something where it's like, bro, that was a Chad move. But it doesn't necessarily make one a Chad, you know? But one who is a Chad exemplifies Chad-like traits and behaviors in everything they do. AOA, that's a triple play. New episodes of Kenway. what is going on ladies and gentlemen boys and girls people of all ages welcome back to the AOA show i'm your host as always ian along with the boy isaiah oh hi oh this mic is far too <laughs> <laughs> sorry i was using that i was using that mic before <laughs> for something he's like hi how you doing guys <laughs> i part of the show <laughs> you're like you're like wait ask me a question <laughs> why the chick across the road <laughs> if the chicken crossed the road, then like it'd probably be a manner of the chicken's incapability of like, accepting himself <laughs> as a person, um, which is a real problem for his complex. But the more he interacts with people, he'll really understand what's going on. I love how your voice gets lower; <laughs> like it's just quieter as you go. <laughs> anyway, we're here. We're talking about Tower of God again, uh, going through season two, episodes two seventy two seventy eight, posing the questions as usual. This is the second round of them, so for anyone that wants to participate, just ask your question in Discord, and it could pop up here like some of these people have today. So thank you to all the people in advance that did pose their question today. We'll be shouting out their names like we usually do, um, and we're excited to get into more TOG here. So let us do it. All right. Question numero uno comes to us from Emperor Dark North, a regular in our Discord server and YouTube channel. Says, quick thoughts on the story of Batis or Batis. How much do you think this mirrors how the ten great family uh, families treat the rest of the tower's inhabitants? How do you think Batis relates to Fug's role on the grand scheme of the tower? So, quick story, th- quick thoughts on the story of Batis, just to break this question down. One, two, three. Uh, <laughs> a couple of people made fun of me in the, uh, the live stream where they, they goofed and I, I did have to, I did feel a little bad because I, I kind of, um, I kind of minimized or, or undermined his, um, his whole big moment when he kills his wife and all that kind of stuff and she's oh. dying and he's had, <laughs> I did it a little bit. Um, I, I felt a little bad afterwards, but I was like, you know what it is, dude, with this guy. And it's like, I don't want to make this into some like bashing this, th- but it's like, for me, there really weren't many stakes with his character in particular involved in the sense that he, if he dies, is going to come back. Anyone he loves, if they die, they are going to come back. He's going to be only here for this Hidden Floor arc, and maybe, presum- like presumably, he's already gone out of the picture after this whole thing went down anyway. Like, he went off with a couple of people, the people so I could eat my words on that. But point being is that once we get past the Hidden Floor, this guy's not coming along with us. And if he does... You got me. You know what I mean? Like, you got me. But I like that's really what it is. It's like I'm just so entrenched in the story of our main characters now. Your bomb, your coon, your rack, you know, them toppling jihad, uh, their, you know, fight with Rachel, all the all that kind of thing. Like, I'm invested in those core characters at this point. And the issue with me sometimes is when 
it's ambitious to have a lot of characters in your story. And if you could do it well, which SIU does really well, it's fantastic, right? Because you have so many characters to choose from, so many to love, and they each have their own distinct personalities, and, and you're rooting for them, right? And, and you're glad when they come on panel and we get to go back, right? Like, I can't wait to see Iwa again is someone in particular. But I do have to say, when you get so many characters, when your story involves every floor being like its own world, and in this case, a literal hidden world, it's inevitable that there's going to be kind of a hierarchy of the characters that you start to care about or, or continue to care about at the further up the tower you go. It's kind of like burning off the dead wood. And for me, it's like my mind. And then maybe this is just because I'm stupid, but like I'm kind of at capacity with the amount of characters that I could really care for at this point. And unfortunately Betis just came a little too late for me to really kind of give a crap about his whole story. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I was kind of disenfranchised, like not disenfranchised. That's the wrong word. But like, I was just not, I was not invested in it. Um, personally, I went off on that. Sorry, but I had to, I had to explain myself. So how much do you think, uh, this mirrors how the 10 great families treat the rest of the towers inhabitants? Yeah, I think there was a question last week. I can't remember who it was posed by, but it was talking about how the hidden floor is like, um, a mi like a micro level of the tower. It was like, you know, yesterday, was it yesterday too? Initial discussion. Okay. Yeah. 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 There, there's been questions that, that relate to that. And yeah, I think that if they were in this entrenched in this mindset when they were right, where it's like, we have to, we're going to get away from everyone. Everyone's going to do their own thing. We're going to do our own thing. And you guys are kind of peasants. Um, you know, it definitely is on a larger scale now in terms of the tower, and that's what we're going to stop, right? So this is just a small taste of that. But the real thing will be to get some of the answers to to questions we might have had on some of these characters and what they thought back in the day and how those perspectives might change when we find them in the future or leaving, like, breadcrumbs to our main characters, such as Bomb. Now we met Kuhn, we're about to meet Kuhn's father. So depending on what where his allegiances lie, we're going to, you know, we might get breadcrumbs for Kuhn, you know, to, to take a certain path to follow. So they're a little more prepared when they get up there. So I think this is just a microcosm of the, the larger things at play here. And how do you think Betis relates to Fug's role on the grand scheme of the tower? Um, I don't know. I, I think, I guess it's that, I don't know if the question is posed in such a way that Betis represents Fug in the sense that he wants to fight this pre-established order. Of, of what's going down, right? He wants to kind of change it. He wants to be an outcast in the sense that he knows that the way they conduct things are wrong and he wants to put a change to it. I, I'm assuming that's what it is because I don't, unless I miss something, I don't think he has like a direct role with Fug besides the fact that he's with Han Sung. But I don't think we have enough info to even know if Han Sung's part of Fug yet. You know, there, he's just, you he might be Viol. Like there's just too much information missing to know if, if Betas has like an actual you know, role with Fug beyond the hidden floor or, or whatever. So I don't want to go too far and look stupid in that one. Um, but I think if you're par creating parallels, then it makes sense, right, that he wants to be this this someone who goes against this pre-established order. Especially in his case, it's even worse, right? Because you get certain characters that want to go against the grain and they might acquire the abilities the abilities to do so right down the course of their journey but it, it definitely seems like a tall order for this guy being that he is a npc essentially like in this world so it's like literally at the 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 discretion of the big breeders they can kind of just tamper with him like 
on a dime like they're gods. So he's got a lot to go up against here. I don't know how he's going to do it besides Big Breeder being, once again, arrogant and being like, oh, I actually gave you the bullets this time that are going to kill me, etc. So anyway, I don't know. Those are all my thoughts on betas. What do you think? Um, so I'm actually going to start going backwards. Uh, so what uh, what do I think about Betis' relationship or role on the grand scheme of the tower? Uh, I do actually think there could be some interesting parallels to draw where... So for starters, I do think Han Sung is, is working... Like, is a working with Fug in some way. I don't think he's, like, the guy that runs Fug um, or even answers to, like, the elders or anything. But I do think he is aligning with Fug. And I do think it's because of his meeting of somebody like Betis back on the hidden floor, because we know that Han Sung, you know, um, does still, you know, or at least probably retains that information that he got on the hidden floor. I think that's, that was the inspiration for him to align himself with a group like Fug. I think he sees a lot of, because I do think there are parallels between Betis's stance as a character and Fug. I mean, like you said, they're literally, Fug is Betis on a large scale. Betis is a, an NPC, just an, a cog in the system that is defective, um, but understands and like feels that that defectiveness is what makes him unique. It's what makes him different. It's what makes him, you know, human, right? And so, like, for Betis in his mind, he's like, well, if if being defective is what makes me human, if if going against the will of the big breeders and you know whoever's in charge here if going against the grain is what makes me defective then i want to be defective forever and i think hans again young han sung i think even even if he didn't like realize it or like necessarily want to was influenced by that because i mean like i don't know maybe i'm just speaking out of person like that's a very it's a very inspiring uh aspiration it's a very inspiring ideology to live by and i think somebody like young han sung again could have been influenced even enough if it was Hansung going from a very like self-serving uh, way of thinking in his life in his younger years has now you know older Hansung is much like much more understanding of the big picture and of who the real fight here is against and it's Jihad and everybody else and I think you know Jihad or not Jihad um, Hansung having seen the kind of thing again being from the hidden floor the kind of thing that Jihad's empire can do to people good people you know, made him want to take a stand in some way, shape, or form. And I think that way now is through Bam or through Viol. Um, and then going back to the first part, what do I think about Beta's story? I, I really like it. I do think that this story suffers for me of what you were talking about, but I personally felt more of that on the floor of death, like with the Hell Joe stuff. Um, and not to say that I'm like, ready to take a bullet for Betis or like, you know, jump out or, or in front of a train. But I, I do, I did like his character. And I do like, again, like I said, in the first part of my, my thing, I do like his, his story. It is very inspiring. This idea of like fighting against rebellion at all cost, even if the odds are heavily stacked against you, like that's all the more reason why you should fight instead of being like, ah, well, the chips are so out of my favor. Like what's even the point? Cause again, you know, I feel like you, you don't lose when you get knocked down. You lose when you don't get back up. So it's like if you just give up and quit because things are too hard or, or nearly impossible, you never you never know. You're not going anywhere. So I, I you know I do like it. it's not a you know it's not a story I've never heard before you know. But it is you know it doesn't I don't think that necessarily takes away from the impact. Um, I do like his character. It is a little weird. I don't know weird like the idea that you were saying before where it's like okay virtually most of these characters barring anybody that we meet who's a younger data version of themselves 
we're not gonna probably we're probably not gonna see again, right? Obviously, the like the young data versions have older equivalents that will, excuse me, that will meet you know going further up the tower. But we're probably not gonna see Betas again. We're probably not gonna see uh, Rose. I think was his wife's name, um, and then that chick who's always shouting Chief and Warrior and whatnot. Um, they probably start and stop here. So it's 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 definitely less of an impact, I guess, than like some of the characters that we've met that we have that we see repeatedly. Um, but you know, I, I do I did like it ultimately, and I do think that it's you know it's it's good. You know, in in the vein of storytelling, for our main cast to be to see this kind of stuff, right? Well, again, whether it's um, whether it's Betis and all the stuff on the hidden floor with the NPCs and the breeders, or we're talking about the name hunt station with Kaiser and how she treated like it's it's good to be reminded of on every scale, no matter how small, the kind of harm that Jihad's mentality and his empire and his way of thinking, what it does to every like average ordinary people. Well said, friend. Um, that's all I got. You got <laughs> the next question. <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> um, all right. So next question comes from Irene Sharda. Uh, they say, do you think that Hansung knew V personally or did he only hear about him? And how does that change your perspective of him and his actions during season one, knowing that he knew that that he knew already about V and possibly slash probably Bam's connection to him? Um, do I think I, you know, I. I do think that Han Sung knew V personally. I don't know if it was like they were super tight and super close, but I do think he knew him because again, when he references, when he, uh, when, when the scene happens with Bam opening the door in the, um, in the fruit, uh, you know, Han Sung's obviously impressed that like his, his, his hunch, so to speak was right. That like we need, they needed someone like Bam. Um, but he specifically calls him V. And so I wonder if, like, what Bam did or the way Bam is, like, just in that moment sort of, like, really jocked or joggled his memory and, like, made it, like, literally reminded him of V or something that V would do. Um, because, again, I do think, like, Hansung, it's actually funny. The more that I think about it and the more we talk about these questions and we get into the story, the Hans. Because I, I got to be real, when we started Tower God, Hansung was very like an off-note character for me. I was like, ah, oh, he's kind of cool. He's got the whole cocky thing, but I really didn't think twice about him. But the more that we are learning about him, the more I'm actually really liking his character. Um, because at least, again, in personally in my head, he's he's got such a clear arc it, where he's going from this guy who was incredibly self-serving and incredibly um, gifted, but like bored of that gift, right? Especially in relation and in comparison to all the other kinds of people he's met in the tower. Um, and then you have that moment where you start to think, you're like, oh, actually, I think he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders, though. And then um, the snake charmer sort of hits him with that, like, you're not, like, that's not what you're about, though. Like, you could sit here and lie to me, but, like, the truth is you're out, you're just out here for points. You're out here to, to, to look nice. You're out here to play this game, but you don't actually give a damn about anybody but yourself. And so, again, meeting people like Betis, meeting people like Bam on the hidden floor, meeting people like V, I think slowly but surely, whether, again, whether he's wanted to or not, Han Sung has been inspired to, like, do something different with his life than just make sure he is the best or that he is the one on top or he gets what he wants because I think on some level he's realized that, like, this fight isn't about him. If he gets what he wants, yeah, cool, he's good, but what about the tower? What about the rest of the people? What about all these people he's met and that he's seen fight this fight in spite of what happens to them, right? I, I think that's what's so great about Betis. It's not necessarily like his character is so like, you know, fundamental to the story. But again, it's just that message. It's that this idea that like, if you're not willing 
an idea or a goal that you're fighting for innately should mean less to you if you're not willing to stake everything, even your life on it. And it shouldn't be something that's in like something that only, uh, satisfies you or only gives you uh, a leg up. So I do think that, I think he, that he knew V on some level. I think that through meeting V and, and again, Betis and just all the stuff he has slowly, I think that's part of what made him maybe even agree to, to go along with this plan of keeping bomb, you know, with fog and training him. Um, because again, it's like the, what's the, I can't, it's like the, um, like the super jerk mentor, who's like a, a dick to the student, but like is, does actually help and teach him how to survive on his own type beat. Um, the only thing I can think of is, um, I know you, you know Daredevil, like from Marvel Comics? Mm-hmm. Uh, Stick, his mentor. Yes. That's the relationship I think about where it's like uh, they hate each other, but like st- for all intents and purposes, Stick did teach Matt Murdock how to fight and yeah. how to survive. And like that's what I see a lot in Bam and Han Sung. And it's like Han Sung, again, this turnaround or inspiration he's had isn't going to make him like this super likable guy. It's not going to turn him into like, oh, I'm all happy and like everybody, you know, like he's still a dick and he's still cocky and he's still arrogant and he's still Han Sung, but he's Han Sung fighting for a different purpose. He's fighting for something bigger than himself. And I think that is inspiration through V. I think when he sees Bam, he sees another shot. He sees a shot at actually getting to help do something that maybe he didn't get. Maybe when V tried to, to do this fight, Hansung backed out. Maybe he got scared, right? Maybe he was like, all right, I, I see what you're trying to do here, but like, I'm not, you know, I'm not about this. This isn't me. And maybe he feels a little bit guilty learning that V was dead, especially if he heard that V killed himself. You know what I mean? Like all these things where it's like, I think, there is a little, I think there's a lot more weighing on Hansung than obviously he's willing to show. Um, yeah, that's my answer. It was a good answer at that. <laughs> I really couldn't add too much more except for my opinion on whether he met V or not. Um, and I think that if he met him, it w- it's like more of a thing in passing, right? I don't think it was something where it was like they were good friends. Um, because I feel like he would have made that connection a little sooner in regards to Bomb. So I think that... Uh, my gut is telling me that he hasn't actually met him. Um, I think that he's just heard of him uh, because of what was passed down through Fug and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, going forward, I'm curious to get more information on Hansung just in general. Like, what the hell's going on with you, dude? <laughs> you know, like, who'd you know? Like, just tell us, you know? So I think that is one of the things that I'm most interested, I'm most interested to see in this arc is not just Hansung, but Hansung in particular would be, you know, a good one among many other characters that we have already met and now seeing their younger versions is like, oh, this is how you got to where you were. Why? You know? So that's what I'm curious about, but... Anyway, moving on to the next question, uh, we have by Lupitai, I believe, L-U-P-I-T-T-I, or A-I, close enough. Let me know if I was wrong if you're watching this. <laughs> if so, I apologize. Um, says, what do you think about there being a virtual world in another? A hidden floor, or a hidden hidden floor. Breeders treat data humans as trash, but they are also data humans themselves. What does this say about them? Well... I'll tell you what, I've been watching a lot of Attack on Titan lately, and <laughs> um, we have a similar scenario in that, and I, what I'm noticing is that people, regardless if they're the same, right, and this just goes for humanity, will find a reason, unfortunately, 
to hate someone, whether it is a difference in opinion, whether it is a, you know, ideals, whatever. Take your pick, right? Someone's going to find it. Be like, your eyebrows look funny. That's it. Done. I'm Xing you out of my life, right? Uh, this is just the way of humanity. This is just the way of the world. And I wish I, and I don't, I say that begrudgingly. I don't say that as in like, you should just accept that per se. Um, but unfortunately that is the world that we live in right now. So being that SIU, a human being has wrote this story, it does not surprise me that this is the scenario we find ourselves in, especially with the 10 great families and such, right? I will also defer back to the question, uh, question we had yesterday in which I discussed, um, and yesterday meaning our previous discussion on this, um, where I did discuss the fact that there are certain people that sometimes transcend others so much so in a particular field or just scale of power or understanding knowledge that it does make it pretty difficult for those people to relate to the people that are under them. And I say under with quotes because they're not literally under them, but I just mean in that particular skill or talent or whatever the case might be. Now, you sprinkle on a little bit of arrogance with that and disdain or judgment for people that are lower, um, then you have a recipe for this, what we see here, the hidden, hidden floor. And that's just what happens. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me in terms of, in terms of the question, right? What does it say about them? It just says that they're, <laughs> that they're, they're people, right, at the end of the day. So, um, but it is kind of interesting, you know, that we're in like an Inception style thing because I've really never seen a story do this where it's like, here's VR. Here's VR in VR. That blew my mind. I'm not going to lie at first because I'm like, no, they're doing this? That's ambitious. Like, that's some crazy stuff, you know? Last thing I saw did something like that was like Inception. You know, you're in a dream in a dream. And that blew my mind. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, I definitely wasn't seeing that coming. That's for certain. So I don't know. I think it's kind of cool that they have that element to it. They kind of got to dig deeper, like in a world, in a world, in a world, you know? Uh, hopefully it just doesn't go down like three other floors because then we're just like, why are we not just here instead of the tower? We could spend half the story here, but... I don't think that'll be the case, uh, but I am curious to see how the other side lives <laughs> in the hidden, hidden floor, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But um, Yeah, so I, what do I think about the virtual world, virtual world in another world? Um, uh, I think, yeah, like you were saying, you know, mirroring a lot of your thoughts, I do think it's cool. I definitely think it's ambitious because you can get into a lot of, like, inception level, like, wait, who, what did he go and so okay he's from this world but not the, like that like you know that stuff but SIU does have a habit of um you know and a good habit of taking like world problems and conflicts and condensing them into this tower right and, and on certain floors and stuff and so I do think like you're saying this does mirror just a very common problem with humanity which is that like give humanity an open space to live and, and prosper and they will turn it into a battlefield given enough time. You know, they will find reasons to fight over it. They will find things to bicker about. They will find things, they will pick out differences of it, you know, and before you know it, we have a small chaotic ecosystem of subjugation and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I do think this is a, this is an interesting spin on it because I don't know, to me, one of my favorite kinds of anime are isekai anime and it is because of the level of like escapism. It's it's the idea that like you can go into this world that is a blank canvas and make it whatever you want and like, you know, insert yourself into this idealized role or just go into this idealized world um, and, and have fun and sort of like turn your brain off from the real world that's full of problems and stuff and, and, and just go in. Um, 
But I, and, and so that's kind of what I love that like in the classic sort of isekai twist or reverse, I love that he's doing this. He's taking this, this idea, you know, the virtual world where it's like, yeah, you could be whatever you want. You could like, you know, go into this crazy fantasy world where like there's dudes walking down the street singing and, and you can take on all kinds of quests with like friends and stuff. Um, but we still have like hatred and bigotry and all that stuff here. I mean, it's a world, you know, and it's like, it, it, you know, this idea that like you can't you know, while escapism in small quantities is is nice, and and sometimes people just need it. Quite frankly, um, you know, escapism in uh, small sections is the key word there, right? You going into a world with an idea that like the, the your old problems are just going to go away is not is not possible, right? Because you know your problems follow you. you. If you run away from them, they do not just go away; they will follow you anywhere. Um, so you know, on some level of that, in some manner of speaking, I, I believe that's that's what he's doing here and, and I, I do like that uh the hidden and floor breeders yeah and, and it's again it's interesting and it is very parallel to humanity because it's like these breeders aren't even like it's not even like real people came in here and they're like huh, look at all these not humans let's fucking subjugate the hell out of them it's like nope they're data people too they just like you know it, it's li- like you the parallel it's literally attack on titan where it's like you don't actually have any valid claim to why you believed yourself to be above these people. Um, it's all here. It's all in their heads. And it's like, you know, Jihad and the the 10 family heads. I, I wouldn't be surprised to meet Jihad, even at the young, the data version that we're, that we'll end up meeting. And I wouldn't be surprised for him to be somewhat in the mindset that he is, that that current Jihad is where it's like, but, but I am better than them. But I like, what do you why wouldn't I do this? I am above them. Like I, I could do anything. I could kill. I have more power than anybody here. Like why wouldn't I use it? Uh, type thing. And it's like obviously that's wrong. But I guess like that's sort of the, that's the point, right? Because we know that by the time Jihad had met the God of Guardians, which is what we learned from him talking with Bam, um, Jihad was very much sort of already going down this path where he was like no, I don't really care about all the semantics. I want power. I want enough power to be able to do what I want. I want enough power to be able to stomp on anybody who tells me that I can't do what I want um, so that I can make everybody happy. And But I believe that, like, Jihad wanting everybody to be happy means through subjugation, right? It doesn't actually mean he wants people to be happy or prosper by their own means or, or what have you um, because the tower exists. Uh, so, yeah, that is my, that's my two cents on that. Um, all right, so... Moving on to the next question we have from Sad Sparkles. They say, what do you think about Rachel wanting to meet her companions as soon as she wakes up? Is it only because she needs them in order to seek Jihad? Or is it maybe that she cares for Yura? <laughs> and then he puts in uh, parentheses, even while typing this question, I thought, is she capable of having such feelings? Is her apathy that strong that she only cares about her goals and nobody else? But it's Rachel, so bleh. <laughs> uh, And as an afterthought, where are Yura, Joaquin, and Traveler? What do you think happened to them? What stories slash sworn enemies could they have? Um, so, uh, all right, yeah, we'll just start from the beginning here. Uh, what, do you th- what do I think about Rachel wanting her to meet her companions as soon as she wakes up? Uh, I, I do think it's pretty self-centered, and it, it is pretty much like, oh, I can't take on Chad by myself, so, like, got to get the, you know, got to get the crew involved. Um, I don't really think there's, you know, a whole lot more in there. Do I, I w- was actually having this weird thought while we were, uh, reading this in the, like the latest chapters, perhaps there is a scenario that this hidden floor thing works out in which Rachel does end up gaining some apathy for Yura and I'm going to say Yura. I think it'd be a stretch that like her whole crew, but, but I could definitely see something happening just between her and Yura. 
Um, but I don't know. I, I do think even as this question says, it's pretty far fetched, at least from what we know about Rachel so far. She's shown literally no signs of any sort of self introspection or, or any of that stuff. So I, I don't know. It's unlikely. Uh, but in an after, af, mm, and as an afterthought, where Euro, Joaquin, Traveler, what do you think happened to them? Who are the, who could their stories sworn enemies be? Um, I don't know. The, the where are they is definitely an interesting question because let's put it this way. These, the story has a habit of being like taking these huge cast of characters and like once they throw them into a new floor, they're like, all right, you go this way, you go that way, and you go this way. And like just chucking them all corners and like we like, I don't know, quite frankly, I don't know how I don't know how well the hidden floor works to be like, oh, well, obviously they're in this part of the hidden floor because they could not be. Why the fuck did Rachel end up in the big breeder's bed? I don't know. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, it, so I, I don't know where they could be they're somewhere on the hidden floor. Um, maybe they're, they got, maybe they got automatically sent to the, well, no, because I don't think you would automatically get sent to the hidden, hidden floor. Because um, I think that's like, you have to, you know, because as far as the people on the hidden floor are concerned, that place is not supposed to exist. You know what I mean? That's kind of the whole big breeder's job. Um, so, uh, so I don't know where they could be. They're somewhere on the hidden floor, really. That's all I know. Uh, Yura, I, I don't even know if it's fair to say that they're together, right? I mean, because I don't know what the stipulations are for splitting them up or whatever. Um, the so for as far as sworn enemies, Yura, um, I don't know actually, because I'm going to be honest. We don't really know, or, okay, I don't know enough about Yura's character to know if she, like, really has any qualms with where her life is, you know? Like, to me, and, and fair enough, you could say the Hidden Floor will just invent somebody for her, and that could just be the the big, the idea of whatever she considers an obstacle, and that's fine. But I quite frankly don't think that's as fun and, and interesting as if it's somebody, if it's some way to conflict with her ideology. Um but I don't know when, like, like, so what I, what something I think about that's so interesting about the sworn enemy uh, thing is that it feeds off of the complexes that some of these characters have. And Dorsey with it being the snake charmer, Bam with it being himself, you know what I mean? Um, but I don't know that like Yura has enough conflict in her mind about what she's doing or where she is to be, pre it's, so that if she was presented with that, that she would actually like care or reflect on it. Um, because she seems to have the same goal as Rachel, but like we've established with Rachel, like, that goal A is pretty vague in itself. It's like I want to see the stars. I want to be. I want to get to the top of the tower. It's like okay, but like why? Like you know what I mean? What does that? What does that mean? Like why are you? You know. So I don't really know about your. I'm gonna leave a question mark on that one. Uh, Joaquin, a hundred percent. I think it's his dad. Like a hundred percent. I think his sworn enemy is his father because that's his literal sworn enemy. Um, it's either like it's got yeah. It's either his. It's either um his dad or his siblings. Because I, I think Joaquin is a man that is quite literally cursed and plagued by his family and by his past. And, you know, in some weird, fucked up, twisted way is doing all the things he's doing to escape that. To prove that, like, he's not just some useless speck on the, you know, in existence that, like, doesn't matter to anybody. He's like, no, I can be the head of the family if I want to. I can be, like, you know, and obviously his dad is... um not supportive of, you know, of his existence, quite frankly, whatsoever. So, you know, he, he's gone a much darker, twisted route to prove that. But, like, I guess that's that's the point is that I think, you know, if the Hidden Floor, again, is showing these characters in the realms of, like, oh, presenting them with an obstacle that they have to overcome or an idea that challenges the way they think and view the tower or the world, um, who better for Joaquin, other than, I guess, Bam, um, than the person who, like, started his whole thing. You know, and that's why I think, 
Coons is going to be somebody from his. I, I think these, this whole thing is is designed obviously in terms of the hidden floor to balance out the scales. But for the characters, it's development, right? It's to get them to talk, open up, interact with these characters that mean so much to them, whether it's positively or negatively. Um, and I've got no fucking clue what's going on with the Traveler, dude. I don't know where he's going to be. I don't know how much longer he's going to be in the story. I don't know a single thing about that dude other than he wanted to talk to Emily. Because um, he signed out with Castle, dude, and I literally feel like he is the, the guy who, like, signed the bill to work with them. And they're like, all right, cool, hop on board. And ever since he got on board, he's like, guys, this is kind of, like, a lot. Like, I didn't really <laughs> – I just thought, like, we were going to, like, hang out, maybe, like, rob a bank. Like, we're kind of, like – doing a lot <laughs> like anybody's just been like pulled along by his coattails and like forced into all these circumstances because every time we see him bro it's literally him just getting like roped in with like your <laughs> company or whatever and i'm like this poor fucker dude literally came here or like got up whatever to like save emily and is now just in this fucking you know he's in this wheel bro and i i don't i don't know if it, like honestly his sworn enemy is gonna be some dude who's like bro what the fuck are you doing <laughs> and, like go home <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, that's my thoughts. <laughs> you hit a lot of those. Um, so I mirror thoughts of the traveler. What are you doing? You know what I mean? I feel like you just took a wrong turn in Albuquerque and now he's just like, I'm with this ragtag group of folks. This guy killed a billion people. This guy's, you know, here and doing something. This blonde girl's crazy. Like, yeah, no, he's just like, He's just he's just in the thick of it now, though. It's too late, so he's like, I guess we're going. But uh, I do agree with you with uh, White, his enemy, that is, or Joaquin's, uh, that it's def- it's got to be his father. If it's not, I mean, like I, like, I don't know what else you'd want me to guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that, that's the that's thing. What I'm, it's like, I'm like, bam. Yeah, because like, sometimes, like, like, these questions get posed, or these in particular, and they're like, who do you think it's going to be? And it's like, well realistically I could only say that it's going to be his dad or anyone that we've met that he's fought like and Dorsey I never would have guessed it was Orochimaru you know what I mean like as her enemy because why would you yeah. expect me to guess that it's not that you are but just saying with that being said definitely think it's his father I can't see anyone else you know that we've met so far um Karaka's an interesting one I don't know who is it, who his nemesis would be um I don't know if it is potentially someone like Jin Sungha um, where it's like, oh, he couldn't get a, out under the thumb type thing because it kind of seems like he's being loud and rowdy sometimes and Jin Sung okay. just comes and goes, sit down, you know what I mean? And just like smacks him down in his chair. Um, but oh, maybe you know, not. It's probably I, a loose one. Real quick, I, mm-hmm. I could see it being, you know how Wang Nan had explained uh, to Karaka's whole backstory? Whoever the 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 figure, because so in my running theory, you're not going to tell me I'm wrong, um, <laughs> Wang Nan's Jahat's son. That's just... That's what we're running with, and so is Karaka, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I don't think that it's. I think it's. I think it's literally a scenario of Jihad is both of their fathers, but they have different mothers. So I think whoever, and not I'm saying that that woman that raised Wang Nan is his mom, but my point in this is that whoever like was with Karaka in his early years, whoever raised him, um, like I think there was some figure in his early formative years that like made him realize like sort of the twisted opposite of Wang Nan, where with Wang Nan was like, all right, then I'm going to like, if this is how this happened, if this is what you think, I'm going to spend the rest of my life proving to you and everyone that like, I am worth something and I can be this prince where I think like somebody probably tried to like take advantage of Karaka because of his, you know, situation or, or because of who they thought he was. And so Karaka very much is like, yeah, I'm, that's it. I'm, I'm out here for me. Like, I'm not fucking with these people who, like, are just trying to use me or whatever. And that the, whoever his sworn enemy is, is, like, the same person, like, that was 
for Wang Nan, but like in a twisted reverse way. You know what I mean? Where it's like instead of having instead of the person that gave Wang Nan the motherly support to sort of be a kind, open hearted person, like this is the person that's probably responsible for like how Karaka turned out, at least in his early years. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's some good stuff. Um and I think to answer the first question, because I've been going from the bottom up here. So I actually do think that Rachel slightly cares about Yura. And I know we don't want to give her any points in her corner, but I think that because of how she yells for Yura specifically and says, I got to find Yura when she does eventually take her VR form. Um, Now that could just be because Yura is so attached with her, but I feel like sometimes it's unless you just don't have emotions at all, the more time you spend with someone that is, is there for you. Um, it's, it's almost inevitable that you're going to wind up being get, forming an attachment to that person in some way, shape or form, or maybe like them a little more. Um, unless again, you're like a sociopath and you don't care at all, which I actually don't think Rachel is, which is why I think the people that like her say, Hey, she's an interesting character is because it's not so black and white. She's not just like, I'm the villain, like straight up. I'm going to kill everyone, like whatever. There's a lot of internal conflict from what we've seen. Um, It's just she always chooses to go down the wrong path, unfortunately. So that side of her always wins. But I do think with that being said that she's not like outright crazy person or something like that. I do think that she, it's only natural that she would want to have a friend in in this world and not want to feel absolutely lonely. Now, whether Rachel's going to, if it comes to it, throw Yura under the bus, she probably will. Yeah, but I do think that there's this weird messed up thing where it's like you could still care for someone and then still throw them under the bus to to then get in, to go in pursuit of whatever goal Rachel deems higher than that. I mean, take Bomb, as, for instance. I don't, I think, and, and I kind of stand by this, is that I don't think that Rachel just doesn't give an absolute damn, but, um, I, but I think that, unfortunately, her snake side always reigns victorious when it comes to that. So I, I do think that she, I think that she likes Yura. So I do think that that is out of, I don't want, I don't think compassion's the right word, but just out of like the sense of loneliness that she wants her white and the other ones, she doesn't care. She just, she needs them to, because they're super powerful. So she needs them to help her climb the tower. So that's my opinion. But anyway, moving on to what I believe is the last question is by big dumbass. Thank you. Big dumbass uh, says, how good looking is Edon compared to everyone that you've met so far? (laughs) Number two, we know he's a Chad, but how much of a Chad is he? Kuhn family is the biggest family out of the 10 in terms of numbers. Yeah, so uh, he probably is, I would say, in terms of of males, I think he is the best-looking male we've seen so far, I think. I don't know. I'm trying to think of anyone else that stacks up against him in terms of just, like, raw um, aesthetic, you know? Like, personality-wise and stuff, you could be like, oh, well, I like this person more because they are this way, but Mm -hmm. just in terms of, like, aesthetically, you are the best-looking I think it's implied that, and like just by looking at him, like the guy is he's a good looking dude. <laughs> you know, I do think he's probably, I think he is the best looking dude we've seen yet. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's my answer. Going with it. Uh, I'm digging the whole like Greek god attire thing too. You know, he's based off Dionysus. Like the guy's, he's just, he's living, bro. And we know he's a Chad, but how much of a Chad? He's an Uber Chad, bro. He's a, he's a mega Uber, super duper Chad because, um, <laughs> you know, I could go into this whole philosophical breakdown of like, what is a Chad? 
you know? And I will slightly because I have fun doing that. So if your definition of a Chad is like the stereotypical version of a Chad, right? Where they're just like, oh, they're going around sleeping with all these women or whatever the case might be. And like, maybe they're a little bit of a dick. You know what I'm saying? They don't really care. Then yeah, that that's what it is, right? That's who he is. But I mean, like, if you're, if you're saying a Chad is also someone that's like, you know, also respectable, like kind of has an air around them where it's like you respect them for more than just that, then maybe he's not a Chad. I don't know. But I'm now breaking down what it means to be a Chad, but I don't know what it means to be a Chad. So I say, what is your definition of a Chad? Like, are they just a, are they just a, a dick through and through? Or are they just, are they just this? Is that something to aspire to? Is that something you want to avoid? Tell me. <laughs> so I'm going to start at the top here with this question. Um, because number one, ah, damn, is this man good looking? <laughs> like, good. damn. Like, not no hard feelings to Kune A, who I still believe, still believe is like here, neck and neck. But <laughs> you know what kills me? I have to say real quick. You know what kills me for for Kuhn as if we're comparing him to his father right now in terms what? of like so, all right, let's be honest. Their design is practically identical besides the clothes that they're wearing sure. and the way they wear their hair. Uh-huh. But I think that, and to be fair, actually, his father's eye, we see his one eye, is actually, like, has this crystallized blue. So there's that. So I do think he edges them out. But the main thing, bro, I don't understand why Kuhn just didn't keep his hair back. Like, or or slicked. I like Kuhn's style so much more when it's slicked to the side or pulled back in uh-huh. like bun mode or yeah, not yeah, bun, yeah. but like in, in, you yeah, know, in that, the, in that thing. Yeah, yeah. I dude, I, I can't jive with this hairstyle that he rocks all the time where it's just like flat. You know what I'm saying? He just like, it's like he takes a straightener and just goes down like this. And it drives me nuts. Cause I'm like, bro, you got beautiful hair. You have beautiful hair. You are blessed to have like great attributes all around. And it's like, yeah, your drip is good sometimes, but it's like you're not taking the full advantage here of like what you have. Like that difference to me between down and pulled back, like he he goes from like a seven to a ten immediately <laughs> in terms of like in his looks or slick to the side. He looks suave as hell when it's slick to the side, but it's just like you know what I mean, just down. And his father knows what's up because he's got that straight up like. Oh, you know what I mean? Like type thing where he just like pulls it back and he's just like, and he could just do this or whatever. And his hair just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. that's it, my thing, bro. I don't know. Yeah, wrong. <laughs> In a sense. I, I definitely do think Kuhn gets much more points when his hair is styled up uh, as opposed to like, just, you know, flat out. Um, but this is weird because this is where like the personality aspect comes into sure, it. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. it's part of what I love about Kuhn is that like, He's almost effortlessly beautiful. Like, he doesn't yeah. have to try. Like, he literally rolls out of bed, and he's like, eh, what up? And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, because, I mean, his dad, you know that all that nigga's doing is rolling out of bed and putting a ponytail up. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do whatever you want. Tell me what to do. <laughs> and it's like, that, like, yeah, they're just blessed with good genetics. They don't even have to try. Like, any any of that stuff he does is a bonus. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, so Kun Eden obviously is a, is a beautiful. I, I think that this was one, uh, you know, one of the things a while ago. Well, I forget what floor part of the story, but they were like, oh, on the hidden floor, like rumor has it that like the most beautiful man. I don't know if they said the most beautiful man 
and the most beautiful woman, or if they said, or if they just tell every man that the most beautiful woman is there. Yeah, because at first they say woman. woman, and then so yeah. who's ever conversating them says, oh, I heard it's a man, yeah. and then someone else or something says that, well, actually, that depending on who that's you what, ask, that's what, that's it, what it is. Depending on who you are. Yeah, like something like that. Yeah, something like that. So... A, it got me curious um, as I was like, okay, is there a female counterpart to Eden that's chilling on the floor? Where is she at? What's going on? <laughs> um, but I'm gonna be honest. If not, I'll just take Eden. I'm good with both. I'm good with him <laughs> taking both roles. I'm whatever, man. I'm good. Um, so that's that. And you know, you'll can hear more about that in my fan fiction. I'll write later. <laughs> but uh, next part of the question is: Is he a Chad? How much of a Chad is he? Um, yeah, he's a Chad. Because I think I think that I, to be honest, I think a Chad is. I think one can display things that are Chad Lee and behavior that is very Chad like or do something where it's like, bro, that was a Chad move, but it doesn't necessarily make one a Chad, you know, but one who is a Chad exemplifies Chad like traits and behaviors in everything they do. And I feel like if we're talking about like a coon or a bam or even like a Wong Nan, like they all have Chad moments, right? They all have things that they've done where you're like, Damn, that is a Chad fucking play, my Pog champ nigga. Like, yes. <laughs> but I feel like Coon Eden never has a not Chad moment. Like, everything he does gets the point further across at exactly how big of a Chad he is because he can't help it. I feel like his personality, his style of, you know, who, of who he is, is just very, like, there's not a single sentence that I will say to you. There's not a single movement that I will make with my body that will not tell you, A, how much of a Chad I am, and B, how less of a Chad you are than me just by talking to me. <laughs> because that's who I, I can't, I literally, I don't think he can help it. I think he's such a Chad. Like, this is one of the niggas who wrote the book on what being a Chad is. He told the author what to write. He sat there eating his grapes, and the author's like, this look good? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> like, because this dude, just off that, like, interaction, like, which was virtually nothing, was him laying back, eating grapes, and someone gets on his pocket, and they're like, yo, somebody's, like, here, they came in. And he's like, really? <laughs> it's like, this man doesn't give a fuck about anybody else, what anybody wants, what anybody likes, what anybody's doing, like, before himself. Everything is what Coon Eden wants. And then maybe if it's a good day, like what someone else wants. Like this man is, and I, and, and to be clear, I do think that means he's probably the pinnacle of a dick. <laughs> but he's also the pinnacle of a Chad. So I have to ask you then, what is your definition of a Chad? So you kind of answered it in that explanation there in a sense. But I'm curious to get a definitive on that, like, what is it when you when someone says that guy's a Chad or that person's a Chad or that one someone did something Chadly? What is it like? What is that definition to you? That's what I'm curious about. I believe that it's somebody who believes that their wants and desires come first and come before anybody or anything else. And if you're not always doing something to exude to get what you want or exude and let other people know that what you want is like what should be priority then like you're not you're not you're not doing enough or you're not doing anything. I believe it's 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 kind of the definition of just of Dionysus. Like you know what I mean? Like that, like just of that mindset where it's like, no, I'm out here to fuck around. I'm out here to have fun. I'm out here to 
have a ton of sex and eat a lot of food and like just just play. The world is my playground and I'm here to play. I don't care about rules. I don't care about politics. I'm here to have a good time and I'm going to like just do whatever I want at, at the expense of other people and maybe even myself, right? Because like that's the other thing is like with somebody like Houdinian and we see it in someone like Kuhn, Houdinian probably doesn't have a lot of niggas that are willing to take a bullet for him because he's probably a lot of enemies, like a lot. But they're probably all people who are in lesser, uh, you know, uh, states or whatever of power than he is. And that's the point is that like he doesn't have a lot of friends, but he almost like does he doesn't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a uh, Chad is just through and through somebody who does not care about anything or anyone before themselves. <laughs> that was fantastic. And that made my day <laughs> just to hear that. I had to know. I was just curious. Now I'll know moving forward. If you call someone a chat, exactly. like I get it. But anyway, folks, those are the questions that we had today. That is our discussion. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I know I sure did, especially that last part. Uh, make sure you, if you guys do enjoy the content today that you are liking this video, you're subscribing to the channel, hitting a notification bell. If you're new here, share with your friends, because the more the merrier and comment your thoughts down below. What did you think of our discussion? What did you think of the questions posed? What is a Chad to you? Let us know. It, we'll know that you made it to the end of this video if you put what a Chad is to you. This is what a Chad is to me. And then comment whatever you want beyond that. If you want us to read it, maybe we'll read it. Who knows? Got a comment, though. Um, beyond that, thank you to our patrons as well. I want to also have a huge shout-out to our Acolyte of Anime tier patrons, which would include Stoic and Nathan. Uh, so thank you very much for your support uh, of the channel. And make sure you guys are getting your AOA merch. It is going to be... Going back to its normal price after January. So for the remainder of January, you get 20% off of every single AOA item in the store, whether it is a hoodie, whether it is a shirt, whether it's a fanny pack, a pillow, a, a blanket, leggings, joggers, you name it, it's there. 20% um, off. Just type in the code AOA2021 at checkout. Again, that's AOA2021 at checkout to get 20% off of your order. But until next time, folks, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the flip. Peace. Peace. Ninjas of samurais. Blaze of the cool knives. Find me in the leaf of the cloud. Screaming out Bankai. We just some ghouls though. Who likes seeing parts fly?